I'm Bonnie. And I'm Sydney. And you're listening to Introduced. Imagine you decided to get a pet fish. You would go to the pet store and pick out a fish, and I want to know what kind you would get and what color. And what supplies would you get for it? I don't know. I think probably just one that's like pretty low maintenance. <laughs> that's just like a goldfish. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not like trying to impress anyone with my fish collection, I think. Um, I would just try to make them as comfortable as possible. <laughs> um, probably put some rocks in there, maybe some plants, a castle. I like it. That's what a lot of people do when they want to fish. You've got your, you get your one tank and a fish or two, and then you're pretty much set. But there's a small, tight-knit group of people whose love for aquarium fish runs really deep. <laughs> so there's this corner of YouTube for the aquarium hobby. And they show off their fish tanks. They go on tropical fish watching trips all across the world. They figure out how to breed all of these different fish and they sell them. And I jumped into this world of aquarium hobbyists for this story. I came across a YouTube channel called Ted's Fish Room. What would you think a fish room is? I have no idea. It, it could either mean one of two things in my mind. Thing one is a room, like an aquarium the size of a room. Um, like you walk in and there, it's just like <laughs> the fish room. I don't know. I'm not describing that very well. And then um, it could also mean like fish themed room. Like either a room where you keep your fish or a room that's like themed fish. <laughs> is the mental picture yeah. I have. I'm sure all of those things could be a reality, but Ted's fish room is, so he, it's like where you have a whole room that's basically lined with fish aquariums so that you just have like a hundred tanks in one room and you keep all your fish. Like that's the extent of some people's aquarium hobby. That's wild. Okay. So Ted's fish room on YouTube has 15,000 subscribers. And Ted Judy is a former high school teacher. Okay, so can I show you his YouTube channel trailer? Yes, please. Hello, welcome to Ted's Fish Room. I have taken my viewers to West Africa, to South America, and even to places here in the USA just to do a little bit of fish watching. And probably more than anything else, we have looked through the glass at an awful lot of fish in my aquariums. But I hope that the library of videos from the past 10 years will still keep you coming back looking for some interesting things to see. 10 I years? So fish rooms were a new concept to me. Ted's Fish Room started around 2001 as a home-based business where Ted would sell aquarium fish that he's breeding and he sold some driftwood for people to put in their tanks. but. Ted's Fish Room then morphed into a website and a blog and a YouTube channel where he would show off his fish room and give advice to other people who are really into fish or want to build big aquariums and stuff like that. Okay. And that opened the door to a job with an aquarium company. So that's what he does now. And he's pretty busy, so he doesn't have that much time for all of his fish anymore. And I'm very happy with my one aquarium. It's completely automated. I have to do almost nothing. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, the breeding part is so wild. I've never really considered how a fish would get from, you know, the ocean into someone's home or someone's basement fish room. Yeah. A lot of fish are, they can be bred by people that are just hobbyists, but hobbyists also will go out into the tropics and particularly for freshwater aquariums, you can go on fishing excursions kind of and get live fish and bring them back for your aquarium. And so that's how some of the fish get in people's aquariums. And with the right permits, you can actually ship the fish back to your house um, or bring them home in your luggage even. Sorry, how do you put a fish in your luggage? I think (laughs) they just have like special... Um, boxes and stuff like I actually I think I asked him this question like how do you ship a fish and it's like you just have (laughs) a a special you just have like a special box okay so I got to see Ted's remaining aquarium this guy right here I actually collected in Columbia Mm -hmm. um, but that that one there I did not that must be really rewarding to catch a fish and then be able to it bring is, it home. It is actually, because some of these things aren't rare in the least. <laughs> you can go, you can go and buy, you can go buy like, like these leperinus, mm-hmm. you know, for four or $5 each and they're this big. These things are freaking hard to catch. And so when you actually spend an hour chasing one around and you catch one, you want that fish. I had to ask and he said he doesn't really consider fish as pets. Uh-huh. He does have another pet, a dog named Maggie, that was around during the interview, so you might hear her. I wanted to talk to Ted because he has a lot of experience selling aquatic species on the internet. Fish on the internet is a really interesting topic to me because the internet is pretty new and it opens the door for fish to be sold all around the world. So do you still sell fish or was that nope. more? Okay. I so, don't. I get that question a lot. My response is, nope. <laughs> I closed Ted's Fish Room from a fish selling perspective in June of 2016, and yet I will still get messages through Facebook, through YouTube, asking, what do you got in stock? Uh, nothing. What kind of requests were you getting back when you were selling fish? And did anyone ever request something that wasn't legal to have or ship? Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, they would request things that, um, let's, let's, let, let me, let me, let me see if I can not redirect this conversation, but kind of maybe focus this conversation a little bit. Um, there are certain fish in the country that are federally listed. You cannot sell and you cannot keep. And anytime you make something illegal anywhere in the world, you are creating a demand for it. You just are, because there's people out there that they like, well, F that, I'm gonna keep whatever I want. My jaw is on the ground right now. (laughs) So a really good example of this is the Asian arowana. Have you ever heard of that before? No. The Asian arowana was once kind of mundane. What does it look like? I'll show you. Can you open the, um, the watch this link? Okay. The Arowana Fish World Championship? Wait, Bonnie, what am I watching right now? <laughs> what is this fish? I told you there are interesting parts of YouTube. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, so it's like, I'm not sure if there's funny lighting on it in this video, but it is 
berry orange and almost purple. Like there's orange and purple existing on this fish's body. <laughs> it's like kind of radiant. Doesn't it look kind of big too? Like it's it's not the size of a goldfish. It's like the size of a hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you say it's spectacular enough to be worth anywhere from a thousand to three hundred thousand dollars? Um. Well, I would never <laughs> ever. <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't know. How do you value a fish? Well, I'll tell you about this fish. Okay. Because it's yeah. an interesting story. So it's native to Asia, Southeast Asia, and it was listed as endangered in the 70s because its populations were declining. And it w really wasn't anything too special until it was listed as in endangered. And so people started seeing it as really rare. And so it became a really sought after aquarium fish. Like everyone wanted one in their aquarium because they were so rare. And now it's known as the world's most expensive aquarium fish. And they can sell for a thousand dollars and the rarest fish can go for $300,000. Whoa. So the fish itself is super endangered in the wild, but there are a lot of them circulating that have been bred within like this fish trade? Yes. Okay. And so because they're on the endangered list, they're legal to import into the US, but there's evidence that some are still being sold here illegally. And other countries interpret endangered species laws differently. And so it just so happens that you can import Asian arowana into Canada, but not the US. And so you could see why that would be difficult especially for a really sought after fish. And I should mention that the Asian arowana isn't at risk to become invasive here, even though it's imported illegally. But there are other species that are federally banned that are a threat, like the snakehead. They can breathe air and they're very competitive with our native species. And they've been banned in this country since 2002 but there's still evidence that they're being sold and imported here. Yeah. Ted knows really well what fish people can and can't have being in the aquarium hobby, but not everyone is as well-versed. So people who ask me for an Asian arowana, for example, and then I inform them, no, I can't get you an Asian arowana because they're illegal for me to import. Oh, they are? But I see arowanas everywhere. I see pictures of them everywhere. They're all over the internet. Other people are selling them. I said, yes, that doesn't make it legal. And besides, the ones you're seeing in the stores, those aren't Asian arowanas. Those are South American arowanas. So it's an education thing. Um, but then a certain percentage of the people that ask are asking because they're trying to find someone to do something for them that they shouldn't do. Um, the most common of those is people who live in a state where fish are illegal to have. For example, stingrays, freshwater stingrays in Texas, or, a, or piranha in Florida, um, where I sell those fish because I legally can do it in Wisconsin, um, but they can't legally have it. So Asian arowana, that was, that deals with countries, like a fish being banned from certain countries and not others. But laws look different from state to state as well. And each state has their own laws about what species are prohibited. 
And that would depend on which species could become invasive in that state. That's so complicated. I know. So, for example, one species that is prohibited from Wisconsin is the Chinese trapdoor snail, also called the Chinese mystery snail. It became popular in the U.S. in aquariums or water gardens because you can put them in, in your pond and they'll clean up the water and they'll eat algae. And I just thought it was interesting that the mystery part in their name comes from the fact that their babies appear mysteriously and like for the longest time just no one knew how they were appearing <laughs> like the babies just show up yes That's um and i'm like modern science hasn't like figured out this. how snails are like appearing any but from what i read females they're like growing multiple babies inside of them in different like generations and then the one and then once they're like old enough with shells they'll just like spit them out or give birth <laughs> and um the trapdoor part of the name comes from that they have a trapdoor like structure that's that protects their body so predators can't get to them what do the snails do like when they're just hanging out in the environment in Wisconsin. They outcompete native snails and they carry parasites that are eaten by fish and then birds and so bad news. And okay. these snails are restricted in Wisconsin so you can't buy them. You know, if you were a pond keeper in Wisconsin, you read about this wonderful little algae eating trapdoor snail mm -hmm. and you go looking for it and you find them available um, and you can order them online. Why would you not? Maybe you're not going to go and look, you know, and then at the same token, if 30 out of 50 states have this animal is illegal, um, maybe the person selling, you know, trapdoor snails doesn't know that in Wisconsin they, they shouldn't have. And is it is it a burden on that guy to check that state's legislation? Well, in my opinion, if it's illegal in some states that your state or it's illegal in other states and you're in the business of selling these animals around, maybe you should check if you happen to know that it's an, it's an invasive risk. So Ted found his own system for dealing with people when they're trying to buy things they weren't supposed to have. He kind of relied on his own moral code. But I thought surely not everyone takes the time to educate themselves about all the laws in each individual state. And the fish that Ted and other aquarium hobbyists keep in their tanks and they breed and trade, a lot of those fish are tropical and they wouldn't become invasive here, so most of them are perfectly legal, so we're not worried about them. But there is a scattering of invasive crustaceans and tenacious plant species that abound on the internet. Like, you could add one to your online shopping cart right now. After the break, how do we stop people from ordering invasive species and having them shipped right to their door? Wisconsin Sea Grant and the Center for Great Lakes Literacy are proud to bring you the Aquatic Invaders Attack Pack, a grab-and-go teaching tool to educate students and the public about aquatic invasive species. Sydney, what's your favorite thing in the Attack Pack? I love all of the specimens. There's a preserved sea lamp right inside each pack, which I think is amazing. And the packs also include little resin blocks with a lot of different specimens like the frosty crayfish and round goby and a lot more. And 
It was my first time seeing some of these species in real life, which is kind of cool. How about you? I love the cutouts of Big Head and Silver Carp and their life size. So I can imagine a kid standing next to one and getting a sense of how big that these fish can get. Each pack includes these items and more, along with a guide with curricula and activities. If you're a Wisconsin resident, you can borrow an attack pack and have it delivered to your local library free of charge. Visit the Educational Resources tab at seagrant.wisc.edu for more information. I had no idea how you would even begin to enforce this online trade of invasive species. Like, it sounds so complicated. So I talked to Robert Strauss, who works in the law enforcement arm of the Department of Natural Resources, the DNR. Bob spent many years as a conservation warden where he patrolled Manitowoc County in Wisconsin. And now he's effectively a detective for the DNR. And that makes sense. I read this story about Bob, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, to meet him. In a magazine article, one of your coworkers was saying how there was someone who was leaving bags of trash or litter at a, at a boat landing. <laughs> and um, didn't you take in all those all that litter for for years in order to try to find this person you've done some homework huh <laughs> little internet searching you gotta yeah yep that was a that was a funny funny thing when i was a field warden in manitowoc county somebody was leaving a big bag of kibbles and chunks dog food with all the dog food gone and just full of garbage including you know medical needles and oh my gosh. food and other things yeah at this boat landing for years and no, eventually figured out who it was after a couple of years. And yeah, how did you figure kind of, that out? Well, it's secretive stuff. So, no, it's a. <laughs> uh, actually, looked at a a label that was inside one of the bags, uh, and it was able to link it back to the person. Yeah. Through another business. Doesn't he sound like a good detective? Such a good detective. Bob is one of only twelve detectives at the DNR. And he's a detective specifically for commercial fishing issues. What does he investigate? Because when you say that, I'm picturing like people overfishing or fishing like things that they don't have a license to fish. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of that. So like someone might break the law by harvesting too many fish out of season. And he also specializes in wholesale fish stealing, which means the people who buy and sell fish to the grocery stores and to pet stores. So that kind of fish trade, he specializes in that. Sure. And lastly, he specializes in aquatic species and trade, which means species sold on the internet. And I asked Bob if he thinks the internet has changed things. Yes, I've seen changes that it's incredibly easy to go on the internet and buy almost anything you want. And the ease of transportation and shipping things makes it difficult to deal with. Uh, many things are maybe illegal to have here, but the person that's shipping it needs to know they can do it. And if they do know, they need to be held accountable for that. So there are a lot of aquatic organisms sold on the internet, but only a small portion of those could become invasive here in Wisconsin. And there's a law called NR40, which says that you can't import invasive species. So this, the species that are commonly sold online, like non-native crayfish and 
plants like water lettuce and water hyacinth, they, those species would become invasive here, so they're prohibited. You can't have them or sell them or move them without a permit. We've talked about crayfish before. You remember the story of the rusty crayfish from episode one where Otis brought them here from Indiana? Oh yes, <laughs> I'm familiar. Um, and those have been here since like the 60s. And like that introduction happened way before the internet. Um, you know, just some guy with a bucket who walked up here with like good intentions. Yeah, so that's one species of crayfish that is invasive here and they're kind of all over, like at this point, there's too many of rusty crayfish for us to totally wipe them out. You know, they're just, they're established, unfortunately. But there is a new crayfish that's causing concern in, in Wisconsin, in the Great Lakes. And it's called red swamp crayfish. So red swamp crayfish, they're red. They have little raised bright red spots on them and kind of a black stripe down the abdomen. They're native to the south along the Gulf Coast and the southern part of the Mississippi River Basin. And our aquatic invasive species specialist, Tim Campbell, told me a little more. Really abundant in Louisiana, so if you ever go to a crawfish boil in Louisiana, I almost guarantee you you're eating red swamp crayfish, but they're slightly bigger than our native crayfish. Um, so they can now compete our native crayfish. And then they're known to have a burrowing behavior, so they can uh, cause the failure of earthen dams and some structures there. So what? they can be, you know, both problematic ecologically, but also for infrastructure. A burrowing behavior? They can also travel several miles to a new pond, which is apparently a lot for a crayfish. So, so like they're on dry land, just like marching yes. along. Okay. Yes, they can march across dry land. So you can see why we wouldn't want them introduced here. And Bob is really familiar with red swamp crayfish too. You can go online and order 100 pounds of it and it'll be here in two days, live. Wow. Um, so, And people like to eat it. Yeah, so that's the, that's the concern. People like the live fish or the live crayfish because it's going to be consumed mm-hmm. uh, in a crayfish boil. But for whatever reason, sometimes they've been released. And, and also this this actually used to be uh, very prevalent with uh, like biological supply houses for the education industry for you know high school teachers or colleges that would order things for dissection purposes yeah. or for some study purposes and in the tank or the aquarium are the ones that aren't being dissected and you know what at the end of the semester little Jimmy takes one home to, and has it as a pet. Or maybe they're not so little if they're in high school, but maybe it's a younger, younger uh, kid in school, and they take it home, and eventually, it, you know, they don't want it. Mom and dad says they they don't want it. Go put it in in the pond, and they go and put it in the pond out back, and there's the start of a new invasion. So there's there was more of that um, until some education was done throughout, mm. you know, the the schools universities and biological supply uh-huh. houses uh, so that is not as much of a concern anymore but it's still happening so uh, cases going right now where schools have still been ordering exotic crayfish and using them oh, for really? study um, so I'm an ongoing case right now with uh, you know thousands of crayfish coming into to the state I was thinking should we try to see how easy it is to get these online yes 
let's do some investigating. They told me that Amazon and eBay, you can get water lettuce and water hyacinth. They're pond species and they rapidly grow along the surface of the of the pond and form these dense mats. So like it basically makes any kind of boating or fishing or any water activities really hard. Are you just going on Amazon right now? I'll go on eBay. All right, I just Amazon water hyacinth. Okay, I'm seeing quite a bit of plants called water lettuce on eBay. Like I'm seeing water hyacinth them. going for $4.95. Oh my God. Amazon deals in water hyacinth. This is crazy. 945 in stock, category pond plants. I kind of want to get some too. Product description on this website. Uh -huh. um, water hyacinth, they're great biofilters. Their long roots provide a hiding place for smaller pond inhabitants. They grow extremely fast, especially with a lot of sun exposure. Interesting. Um, your fish will love them. <laughs> they appreciate the shade, shelter, and food provided. This plant controls algae and increases oxygen in the water. They are 100% chemical free and fish and shrimp safe. I wonder if there's anything, is there anything on your site that says like, we can't ship this to your state? Well, okay, so um, I have, it's $4.95. That's a steal. One product is in the cart. Um, it's been added to cart. Okay, so far I'm not seeing anything. View cart. Oh, okay, so with tax and shipping and everything, it's gonna be $13.35. Okay, check out billing details. Okay, so I'm curious what happens if I say I'm in Wisconsin. I'm looking at some water lettuce, and it says it ex excludes shipping to, or they're, they're shipping it from New Mexico, which they can probably have water lettuce in New Mexico. But all the places that it can't ship to is like countries in Africa, islands, Europe. <laughs> Wisconsin is not on this. Okay. All right, I'm proceeding to check out. Wait, I want to know what's going to happen, but I don't want to order this plant. So far, no one's told me I can't order it. I think they're going to let you order it. And they're I'm trying very hard to get you to order it. It's processing my order. Um, <gasps> what? I ordered it. <laughs> Wait, can I cancel this? <laughs> if I had to sum that up. That was crazy easy for you to do. Yes, I will let you know when my plant arrives. <laughs> I want a plant too. <laughs> um, okay. Wow. Water lettuce is called Pistia stradiotes, and I'm okay. gonna get five pieces. Is dwarf water lettuce? How is that different? I w see, I wish Tim was here. Should we call him? Should we call him? What if you text him? And you're like, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. I found something interesting. Um, what? I googled crayfish, crayfish boil, buy crayfish or something. And I, this site that has like live crayfish by the pound. And, but they do say on their website, unfortunately we are unable to ship live crayfish to Hawaii, Washington, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Idaho, or Oregon due to depart restrictions. Well, that checks out. So, um, that's cool. Yeah, go them. Oh, 
I think I could get crayfish from the site. Are you looking up um, red swamp crayfish? Well, I don't know if they specify what kind of crayfish they include in the crayfish foil. I think you'd have to like know, but they're at least saying they'd ship live live stuff to everywhere but Hawaii, North Dakota, Michigan, and Washington State. It's inconsistent, I guess, is what yeah we're seeing. <gasps> Tim is coming. Okay, Tim this is coming. Is based out of <gasps> yes, like right now. Yeah, do you see him? Hey. No. Tim. Hey. Tim, I accidentally bought um, water hyacinth. It's coming to my house. <laughs> Did you accidentally, like, was it like as research for part of this? It was, it was. I was like, how far can I get before they say you can't buy this because you are shipping it into Wisconsin and that, that didn't happen. So now it's coming to my home. <laughs> I think I should name her probably. Yeah. We don't know, like when we're looking at like water lettuce, would you know specifically like if this is the kind that's prohibited or what's dwarf water lettuce, you know? So that scientific name there is pretty key. What? Pistia striatus. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> um, that looks like like water lettuce and water hyacinth are both very distinctive plants that even fish people like me can be like, yes, that is definitely water lettuce or water hyacinth. Okay, um, so I'm buying yeah. this. What's the distinctive feature there for you? Have you seen the nature videos? I, you <laughs> yes. know, it's like, ah, that's pretty neat. <laughs> I can tell by the way that it is. <laughs> neat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think it, it's that like really kind of bright green and then water lettuce almost had, I think, I should verify this, but it almost has this kind of like feathery looking texture. Okay. But water hyacinth has a pretty distinctive like bulb kind of at the bottom. Okay. And then for crayfish, like for red swamp crayfish, when people go on to buy crayfish for a boil, most of these sites, they just say like live crawfish. They don't say the species. So how do you know what species you're even getting? Yeah, good question. Um, you see what you get when you show up. Uh-huh. So, so if, we, if we ship some to your house, will you identify them for us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please make sure they're frozen. Um, what we hear from people selling these things, it's on the consumer to make it so that way the consumer knows the laws. And so yeah. like somebody shipping this stuff would say that it's our responsibility to ask them what it is and be like, hey, can you tell me what kind of crayfish this is? That's kind of crazy, to be honest. Can you, would you be able to identify these crawfish that are on the screen right now? Can you tell? They look like red swamp crayfish just because they have those really bright red bumps on the claws. Yeah, but all species of non-native crayfish are, you can't import them. Correct. So I would, so as you guys are like buying this stuff and receiving it, so if you receive something, um, actually, you know, Sydney, since you're in Milwaukee, what might be something good? Um, so what we would instruct somebody to do if we were doing something <laughs> like this, yeah. be to contact their local AIS coordinator and then have that local AIS coordinator do the first step of step enforcement, which would be just reaching out to the vendor and being like, hey, did you know it's illegal to sell this and ship this to Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> and then normally, um, and the Wisconsin DNR did research on this to show that most of the time, at least 
like plant vendors came into compliance once they were informed of NR40 regulations. Huh. Which is That's cool. Interesting. But yeah. I think like the DNR has done this kind of handful of times and people have talked about doing it, but they like never do it. So it's do what? Like just order plants and see if they can get them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of it's cool that you guys did and I know you guys are educated about aquatic invasive species, so I know you're not, I don't know, maybe you're going to go put it in the estuary, <laughs> but <laughs> I assume that these things are ending up in Milwaukee estuary or, you know, Lake Men or like Lake Koshkown yeah. or whatever. Okay. So. Well, thanks for Yeah, thank you. In. Yeah, hopefully that was helpful. And See you later. See ya. Bye. Bye. So once the plants arrive, I guess we'll just call the DNR then and let them know. Water Research Mysteries, teachers connecting kids with the Great Lake in their communities, erosion and dangerous currents. These are just some of the stories offered by Wisconsin Sea Grant and the University of Wisconsin Water Resources Institute. A monthly podcast series, Wisconsin Water News, highlights stories previously available only in print from these programs. Series narrator and science communicator Marie Zwickoff brings the stories alive by featuring in-person and phone interviews with the people behind the news. Listen and subscribe to Wisconsin Water News on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or at seagrant.wisc.edu. Invasive species are moved through different pathways. For example, through ballast water, or people moving their boats from lake to lake, or even hiking when you can have seeds attached to your boots. And as a pathway, the internet is pretty new. And actually, so are invasive species laws in general. Well, the invasive species part of our enforcement program is not very old. So Wisconsin didn't have any laws prohibiting invasive species or telling people to drain or clean their boat until 2009, which is not that long ago. So for the past 15 to 20 years, enforcement of invasive species spread has focused on like boat landings and making sure organisms don't spread from water body to water body, but it's only been in the past few years since around 2018 that law enforcement in Wisconsin has started looking at species sold online. With the internet as a new pathway, we've had to look at new technology to investigate this issue. And an example of that would be using a web crawler. Can you explain what a web crawler is? Yes, so a web crawler is a computer program that continually like crawls and searches the web and it looks for websites that match a certain description, like using certain keywords and stuff. For example, a group called the Great Lakes Commission developed a web crawler to look for invasive species. And I talked to Erica Jensen, who manages aquatic invasive species programs for the Great Lakes Commission. And the Great Lakes Commission helps Great Lakes states and provinces manage Great Lakes resources. And she said web crawlers have been used in other industries before, but when they were developing this web crawler, they hadn't heard of any being used for biological issues or environmental issues. Their software is called the Great Lakes Detector of Invasive Aquatics in Trade, but it has a catchier nickname based on its acronym. Gladiator, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Okay, that's a very great um, acronym. <laughs> yeah, we spent some time uh, coming up with that one late Friday afternoon. Yeah. 
So with Gladiator, they created the species watch list of Great Lakes aquatic invasive species that are the most destructive or that have the potential to be the most destructive. So in this first version of this list, they had 166 species that they then plugged into the web crawler, into Gladiator. So that um, software would then go and essentially automate the process of doing like a Bing search or a Google search, search engine search. So using the species names, and we included both common and scientific names, as well as any synonyms we thought the species might be listed under in the trade and search for those as well as um, associated terms like sale or cart that might help narrow down pages to pages that were actually selling organisms as opposed to just like a fact sheet or general information page. So anything that you might find by searching Bing or by searching on eBay or Amazon is something that the web crawler might find. And if it's determined that it's a match, that it's, they found this invasive species and they think it's a sale page, it downloads that page for people to review. And then people can go in and review that. It uses machine learning then to continue to learn what is a sale page and what, what isn't. I guess the only question I have is, why is it looking at Bing? What about a million other search engines? Yeah. And I, I don't know why they chose Bing for this, but I think it's like, Bing and Google, like, and all the search engines are, they're all searching through the same sites, like this, the, all the websites that are out there, you know? And so, like, you know, if you search something in Bing and Google, you're not going to get exactly the same results, but it would still get you, it would get you similar results. So some of the species that they found using Gladiator, um, they found a lot of plants, like backyard pond plants and aquarium plants. Um, like water lettuce, water hyacinth, hydrilla, and yellow floating heart. Those are some of the common ones that they were finding. I expected to find more fish that we were concerned about than we did. I, I was surprised that plants was the overwhelming sort of taxa group that we found. So what happens after the web crawler finds the site? What's the next step? Yeah, so after they find a site, the people can review it and take action. So like law enforcement agents can contact that business and see if they'll remove that species or if they'll put a note in their website saying that we can't sell to these Great Lakes states. And Erica said that they've had luck with people making changes to their site when they're approached like that. So what does Bob do when he finds someone selling illegal species to Wisconsin? The realm of what we do can lead anywhere from contacting them on the phone and telling them that they can't do this, to uh, have an in-person contact with them and explaining they can't, or visiting them and, and educating them about the whole system, or visiting the supplier and educating them, or it could come to an enforcement type of case where they're issued some sort of citation or potentially a criminal charge if it's a, a serious violation. With any type of new laws, because the invasive species laws are really not that old, it's still something that, yes, we know because we're involved in it, but the general public really doesn't know a lot of this stuff yet. So it's a cultural and societal type of issue. The basic part of enforcement is to educate people first so they know what the laws are. 
So in order to have the biggest impact, Bob tends to address these large wholesale dealers, like companies that are supplying thousands of invasive plants to nurseries or dealers that provide live crayfish to schools. Which makes sense because you'd want to focus on the large dealers. But on the other hand, what about when this happens on like a Ted Judy scale? Like not Ted specifically, but people who are selling fish or plants out of their home and then get approached. Like how do you monitor that? Like the people who would do it without a second thought. Yeah, like it's not always from these big wholesale dealers. It's sometimes just someone who has like who has a pond or something. Yeah. So Bob kind of confirmed something that I've been thinking that it's really hard to enforce these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, almost, I won't say it's impossible to enforce because if we find out about it, which there's obviously ways that we can, you know, we find out about things here and there, but I'm sure that the, the amount that it's happening, we, I'd probably be foolish to say that we even know of 1% of the amount of that type of stuff that's actually going on. Um, it's so widespread. Uh, so it's laws are, are set to for the public good, but not always that they're going to be completely enforceable by everybody because most of them have to be done on our honor as citizens. Introduced is produced and hosted by Bonnie Wilson and Sydney Wydell. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with a friend. You can find Wisconsin Sea Grant on Twitter at Grant and on Facebook at University of Wisconsin Sea Grant and Water Resources Institute. We'd love to hear from you. Send in your questions and comments to bonnie at aqua.wisc.edu. You can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Thanks for tuning in.